So let me tell you a little bit about me. I grew up uh, with my sister, three years older than me. And I was the the puny, weak one in the family. And uh, my cousins, who lived around the road from us, we used to spend a lot of time with them. Our parents, uh, our mutual parents, had businesses in our local town. And so we would be shipped out to my cousin's house to play with them, three older boys and a younger girl. It was the mid-1980s, and the one thing that every television set was tuned into was the A-team. And so for my older cousins, who were older than me, and my sister, who was at that stage a relative tomboy, decided that it would be good to play the A-team. Of course, we all know that there's only four members of the A-team, which meant myself and my cousin Diane were not members of the said team. Instead, we would be the ones tied up to a plank of wood and put on the floor as a child's play cart would be racing towards us. Or we would be sitting tied up in chairs, ready for the door to burst open at any moment for the A-team to come and rescue us. We had to fit the model of what my cousins and my sister thought was best for me and my younger cousin, Diane. We had no say whatsoever. Four against two wasn't great odds whenever you are the two puniest and youngest members of the family. And so we had to fit the rules. Every time we got together, Diane and I knew what our rules would be to be the ones who were rescued. That was the rule we had to fit. We may be tied up. We may be bundled into wardrobes. It didn't matter. Whatever it took for the A-team to save us, it didn't matter. So I had to fit into this model. And I wasn't allowed to waver from it in any shape or direction. My older cousins made sure that this is the part I would play. I couldn't be the Abaragas. I couldn't be Hannibal. I couldn't be any of the A-team because I had a part to play. I think whenever we think of Christianity, and for many, this is a view of Christianity. Christianity makes us fit a model. It makes us fit a rule that we cannot get away from. It's a rule that has been cast and that we must follow through to its end. We have to conform to a set of rules and regulations. Conform to particular thinking. Conform to practices that are far removed from the reality of life. For many, Christianity is something that we conform to. Well, this evening, we're going to take a look and with the time that we have together, think our way through and see why Christianity is not the straitjacket that we think it is. And to help us out along the way, let's turn to our Bibles. Hopefully there should be a Bible in front of you in the pew. And we're going to read two passages, the first being in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 49. Sorry, 31 to 49 on page 1074 in the pew Bible. So let's read uh, this passage of John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. We're finishing there at verse 41. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read the first 13 verses of Hebrews chapter 12 on page 1210. So Hebrews chapter 12 on page 1210, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone who accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of God. The first person that I ever saw in a straitjacket was Hannibal Lecter in the movie The Silence of the Lambs. 
Lecter is in a straitjacket because he is a former psychiatrist and is incarcerated as a cannibalistic serial killer. When he meets with Clarice Starling, a young FBI agent who is trying to solve another murder investigation that Lecter has answers to. And when he's moved uh, from his cell, he is seen wearing the straitjacket to protect others from whatever harm he could do. And the image has been the one that has always defined the use of this protection item, for me anyway. So when it comes to Christianity and the church, I can understand how it can be seen as something that holds us back and makes us conform to the desires of another. And this may be where you are this evening in your thinking. This may be the image that you have in your head of what Christianity and the church is like. Many in the society in which we live see Christianity as a breaker of society rather than the healer and the glue that holds it together. Christianity is seen as the thing that stifles people and doesn't allow free thought. Christianity is branded as the one-size-fits-all model, no matter which people group or cultural tradition it is in. Everyone must conform to the particular. What is being challenged in this thinking towards the church and Christianity is absolute truth. Timothy Keller, who I mentioned earlier, starts his chapter in the book by asking, is belief in absolute truth the enemy of freedom? His answer is that most people think that it is. And tonight I want to suggest that the most people have an inaccurate view of the Christian faith and of God. And so to help us think through this, we're going to look at our topic like this. We hold up our hands and say we lean heavily on the guiding and leading of Tim Keller in his chapters. So if you are someone who's familiar with his book, you will notice a lot of content and a lot of thoughts coming out through this evening. So we're going to be thinking that truth is unavoidable. Community can't be completely inclusive. Christianity isn't culturally rigid. Freedom isn't simple. And love, the ultimate constraining freedom. So let's start off by thinking of truth is unavoidable. French philosopher Foucault said, writes, truth is a thing of this world. It is produced only by multiple forms of constraint, and that includes the regular effects of power. Others have helped us along the way to think what this means. And what he's getting at and what others have pulled out from this is to say that all truth, uh, truth claims are power plays. If you claim to have truth, well then it means you're trying to get one up on someone else. That you're the one who holds the power. You're the one who can control and influence others. It would be like going to a manager in our places of work and saying that you have a great idea. One that will help build this company and bring in revenue for it. The question behind this great idea is, why are we doing this? Are we genuinely doing it to help the company that we work for out? Or is it a power play? 
Is it something that we're doing to try and get ourselves further along the corporate way? Is it something we're doing to try and set ourselves up in great favor with managers and those who employ us? Are we trying to prove that we are better than others in our workplace? Are we trying to set ourselves up in a place of power so that we can have influence and more power over people? On the other hand, if you try to wash away this thinking that it is a power play, and if we try to wash away truth, C.S. Lewis says that you have nothing. He writes uh, in The Abolition of Man, but you cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you have explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond, uh, beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? A wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. To see through everything is not to see. If we take each statement that we believe is truth or that is brought to us as truth and we try to see through it, to not recognize what it genuinely is, we will find nothing and we will miss what is real and what is good for us. Therefore, it stands to reason that some kind of truth claim is unavoidable. So, truth is unavoidable. Whenever we think of Christianity as a straitjacket, the one thing that annoys people or gets their heckles up is that Christians always think they are right. Sometimes we're maybe not just as right as we think we are. But at the core of the Christian message is an absolute truth that cannot be shaken and that cannot be removed. And that is God, creator of this world, coming to this world in human form so that his creation, humankind, would know the freedom of a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Truth is unavoidable. Another thing the world looks at when they look at the Christian church is that it's a clique. It's this small little group that gathers together and that says no one can come in. Community can't be completely inclusive. You see, Christianity requires particular beliefs. In order to be a member of its community, you have to believe the central things, the absolute truth that we've just mentioned. It is not a membership open to all. And we recognize that society and the world around us doesn't like that. Is it possible that no community is inclusive? The world would like us to believe that we live in inclusive communities, that everyone respects the privacy and rights of others, and together we work for equal access to education, jobs, and political decision-making. The reality is 
we don't. Those who suggest that those who suggest that society should be like the the life that they've described, they live on assumptions. They assume that everyone wants to be part of this open and free society that allows everyone to get on with life as they wish. This is not the case in every culture. Western culture is shaped um, by shared commitments of reason, rights, and justice. And even then, there is no universally recognized definition of these. We can all disagree on what these things mean. Every human community holds in common some beliefs that necessarily create boundaries, including people and excluding others from its circle. So community can't be completely inclusive. There are things that we must believe. Let me read for you a little paragraph, an illustration presented by Tim Keller. And it's one that is particularly to our society today. Imagine that one of the board members of the local gay, lesbian, and transgender community center announces, I've had a religious experience, and now I believe homosexuality is a sin. As the weeks go by, he persists in making that assertion. Imagine that a board member of the Alliance Against Same-Sex Marriage announces, I discovered that my son is gay and I think he has the right to marry his partner. No matter how personally gracious and flexible the members of each group are, the day will come when each group will have to say, you must step off the board because you don't share a common commitment with us. The first of these communities has the reputation for being inclusive and the second for being exclusive. But in practice, both of them operate in almost the very same way. Each is based on a common belief that acts most sorry, each are each is based on common beliefs that act as boundaries, including some and excluding others. Neither community is being narrow, they are just being communities. Each community, no matter who they are, they have a set of beliefs that members agree to. That is what forms their identity. We cannot criticize a community for having standards by which each member of the community is held to. You may ask, if, well then if there is, how is there any way to judge whether community is open and caring rather than narrow and oppressive? Is there any way to do this? The simple answer is, yes, there is. You look to see which community's beliefs lead its members to treat people in other communities with love and respect, to serve them, and to meet their needs. Community can't be completely inclusive. If we believe in an absolute truth, Christianity expects those who become its members to agree to those absolute truths. The question is, that Christian community, is it a community that has beliefs that lead its members to treat people in other communities with love and respect, to serve and meet their needs? Because that is the example that Christ gives the Christian community. Coming from absolute truth, recognizing that we cannot be a completely inclusive community because of that truth. 
Let's move on. Christianity isn't culturally rigid. Many would think that Christianity has no place in society today. It is something that is left to the history books and offers nothing for people of this current age. In reality, Christianity is more adaptive in culture than any other world religion. Let me give you two of my own examples of how I've seen this work. I have worked overseas in remote tribal groups. Tribal groups that have lived the same way they've always lived uh, for hundreds of years. They have a particular belief structure, most of which, if not all, focus around creation and nature. The Christian message comes in and transforms lives. It means that for those who once worshipped gods of creation, now see through to the one who created everything that is around them. And rather than having a narrow view, they have a complete view of our creator God. Does that mean that they all go around and wear a suit and a shirt and tie? For many of the communities that I saw, no. The, the culture of the community still remained. Yes, they had transformed how they treated one another. They had transformed how they interacted uh, with creation and, and putting away some of the old beliefs that they had that they now recognize are wrong. But they still celebrate their festivals as long as they're not in contradiction with what God has for them. The Christian message going into remote communities does not mean that they conform to some ideal little box that they must fit into. Rather, the Christian message can be weaved in and through the culture into which it is brought. My own experience. There are two buildings now on the screen. One you will hopefully recognize because you came into it this evening. One is about 40 miles down the road in the place where I grew up. I grew up in a culture and a community that was rural. The highlight of the year was the Balmoral Show. You got off school to go and do the silage. It was a wonderful life. And the church adapted to that. So rather than having seven o'clock meetings, it had eight o'clock meetings. Yes, people still came to church in their suits and their shirts and their ties. They read translations of the Bible that for many of us now just sits on a shelf because it is old English. But the one thing that I've learned, the gospel message still worked and penetrated lives. No matter what it looked like on the outside, no matter how... I've often said I would love to take a field trip down to one of these uh, country churches one Sunday. Uh, it would be an eye-opener for me again, I think, going back. But coming here where if I was dressed like this at home, I would probably be shunned. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not encouraging them for that. But coming to a different community and a different culture, does it mean the gospel is any less? No, it doesn't. The gospel can weave its way through culture and tradition so that its power and its message impacts. I imagine that if I were to return home in 20 years' time, church wouldn't change much. Whereas I imagine here in the city it would change dramatically in 20 years. 
what's on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that there's any difference on the inside. The gospel still breaks through and penetrates. And that's the truth of John 8, verse 32. The truth will set you free. I am as free now as I was in my days of carrying a King James Version Bible and dressed in a three-piece suit. Friends from around the world do things a lot differently than we do, but they are free in Christ. Contrary to popular opinion, Christianity is not something that forces cultures into a mold and destroys communities. Rather, it fulfills them in a realization of what the true purpose and reason for life is. So let's move on to think that if we're saying that Christianity isn't a straitjacket, there must be freedom. Well, in that freedom, it isn't simple. It is believed by some that Christianity is a limit to personal growth and potential because it constrains our freedom to choose our own beliefs and practices. Freedom cannot be defined in strictly negative terms as the absence of confinement and constraint. In many cases, confinement and constraint is actually a means to liberation. Let me share with you one example I read and heard recently. I don't know if you recognize this face. It is of the modern action man, Bear Grylls. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch anything that he's done on Channel 4. It's not what I would like to do, jumping out of planes into the Amazon, uh, tearing heads off pigeons and eating them. Um, I don't even want to guess what he's trying to eat at that particular time. It may surprise you that Bear Grylls, as a teenager, could never keep up with the pack in PE. He had to spend more time in the gym training than everyone else. He had to spend more time in the study hall than everyone else. He had to put in the time and the effort so that he could become what he has become, joining the SAS, being able to do these magnificent things that we see on television that would make us faint just thinking about ourselves doing it. He was a scrawny lad who had to get up half an hour before everyone else to go running. He had to spend an extra half hour each day in the study hall. It took time. It meant he had to sacrifice the social aspect of living in Eton, where he would, uh, as he tells in his biography, getting up to pranks of all kinds. The one thing he discovered he was good at was shimmying up drain pipes. But of course, that takes coordination. That takes strength. And he had to build that so that he could be what he, we now recognize him as, the worldwide modern action hero. So much was sacrificed of his free time. So much time that he could have been spending with friends was sacrificed. But it was sacrificed for what he would become. What we now recognize this guy to be. And it is the same with the Christian faith. The verses that we read in Hebrews 12 tell us that we are to endure hardship as discipline. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness the ultimate relationship and pinnacle of life. <coughs> Freedom isn't simple. It means that to enjoy greater freedom, we need to sacrifice some freedom now so that we can become 
what we can become in the future. Freedom isn't simple. One of the things that we think about when we think of freedom, one of the, the greatest freeing and liberating things is that of love. The ultimate constraining freedom. The moral, spiritual reality that we must acknowledge to thrive is love. It's the environment that liberates us, that doesn't confine us. It means that what we love and enjoy, we can do. In response to the question, then have you had the freedom you wanted? French novelist Francois Sagan replied, yes, I am obviously less free when I was in love with someone, but, one, but one's not in love all the time. Apart from that, I'm free. A love relationship limits your personal options. I am married almost four months, and here are limits that love has put on me. Can I just say, my wife is sitting in the front row and didn't know I was about to do this. Lesson one in preaching, always let your wife know when you're going to say something about her. So what have I learned in four months? Decisions are now joint. I cannot make my own decisions as I once did. I could, but it would have ramifications for the love relationship that I am in. Secondly, time management has become a priority. I can't just use my time as I want because that is a selfish, personal desire. Rather, I must now manage my time in a household environment. Thirdly, there is a wider family and network of friends to consider. It's not just the priority given to my family and my friends, but a wider network that I am now part of. And fourthly, I now need to be quicker about putting out the bins and ensuring the laundry is done. The constraints that love has put on me. But what have I gained? I have gained the love and care of a wife who wants to share life with me. So much more than my petty, selfish desires to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. Although it seems I am not free to be me in what I want to do, I am as free as I ever can be because of the relationship that I have. From the face of it, it looks like Christianity is about a one-way relationship. That is God's way. We become dehumanized and fall in with his ultimate wishes. We think that we must adjust to God But something makes Christianity so different from every faith group in the world. Tim Keller writes this. In the most radical way, God has adjusted to us. In his incarnation and atonement, in Jesus Christ he became a limited human being, vulnerable to suffering and death. On the cross he submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us. In the most profound way, God has said to us in Christ, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you though it means a sacrifice for me. If he has done this for us, we can and should say the same to God 
and others. For a Christian, the Christian faith, the love of God through Christ is reason to believe. God humbled himself to become one of us so that we would know true freedom. Christianity is not about constraining us. It's about opening us to true freedom in a love relationship with God. In a few minutes, we're going to have time for some questions about this. But let me say one thing before I finish this section of what we're doing. I recognize that in questions that may come, it will help us think through a little bit more about what we've been talking about. But the key issue is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that may be something that a public forum does not help you to talk to someone with or to help think through. Can I say that if you are someone who is thinking through these things, asking the question, is there a reason for God, and having such a view of Christianity that we've thought about this evening, if you want to talk to someone, you'll meet Christoph in a moment, and myself, we're here to, to help you think through some of these things dealing with faith. We also have a prayer team who, are over, who gather over here at the front of the building each Sunday evening. If you want to chat with them or if you want to pray with them or have them pray for you, go and chat to them as well. We want all of this to be accessible so that together we can grow in a deeper understanding of our God and a greater conviction that he is the best thing in life for us. Let me take a moment um, to pray. Prayer is something that we do to ask God to help us to think through these things. So let's take a moment and let's talk to him. <coughs> Father, we have covered a lot of stuff this evening. We've been asking questions publicly and we have questions privately. Father, we desire to believe Give us the faith to believe. Help us to make our way through words so that we can get to you in full understanding of who you truly are. Make it clear. We get so muddled by what we're presented with in the church and in the world. So help us catch a vision of you that is, that is beyond anything we could ever have imagined. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.